Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Philemon. Thank you for journey through Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and now this book. I pray, even though it may be one of the shortest we would read, I pray that we're able to still come to terms with all the message that it means for us as believers today. I pray that we're able to reflect on all that it teaches and see our own lives walk in that same light. I pray there's clarity. I pray there is wisdom through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time anyone will be listening to this. Good morning to you guys here. Um, so like I said, we've gone through Ephesians, <laughs> Galatians, Colossians, and now we're in our fourth letter in this epistle um, journey, right? And it's been an amazing one. And again, just to reiterate, I say this every time we start a new letter. I say this sometimes when we switch teams or things rather <laughs> within letters that at the end of the day, beyond me explaining what each letter emphasizes verse by verse, context by context, and all of that, what I hope that you would do is you bear in mind the similarities and the consistencies that go across all the epistles, regardless of the author and all of that, and you'd start to be able to corroborate better in your mind. That way you'd be able to know what epistles are trying to say, what they are not trying to say, how to apply to your lives and things like that. For instance, we'll get to 2 Timothy and you see Paul making some funny instructions and you're like, ah, why is Paul talking like this? But if you can corroborate, you'll be able to know, okay, this is what he is saying because he has said this or because he has not said this, stuff like that. So one of the major emphasis we've seen, for instance, especially in the Pauline epistles, is how theology and practical response go hand in hand. I've been hammering at this right from when we got to Ephesians 5, when we got to Colossians 3. And now you can think of the book of Philemon as, um, you know, when your teacher teaches you something in class and it doesn't used to make sense until they do example one. And then you can ask, okay, this is what they meant. You can think about Philemon like that. It's a clear example of many of the practical implications of what Jesus has done for us in the life of these two people, Philemon and Onesimus, with Paul in the middle. So what it shows us, it, it, it's Paul's shortest epistle we have, at least in, in the Bible, but there's a lot, that, and we'll see today, there's a lot you can learn from just a simple letter talking about two people to reconcile their differences. And that's what I hope um, you would see today in a practical way. How does my walk with God influence my day-to-day -day relationships? So that's what we're starting with. And yes, I trust it will bless every one of us. So again, starting a new book, what are the things we should pay attention to? Of course, who wrote the book? Paul, or who wrote the letter? Paul, right? Who was it written to? It was written to Philemon. Now you might ask, who is this guy? We'll find out soon enough. 
But again, it was written when Paul was on his first Roman imprisonment, the same time he wrote Ephesians, the same time he wrote um, Colossians. In fact, you would notice that the book of the letter for the Colossian church and the letter for Philemon were given to the same people because Philemon was a leader in the church at Colossae. And that's why we did it right immediately after Colossians. So let's start from verse um, from verse 1. I'm reading from the NKJV as usual. It says, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Our beloved friend and fellow laborer. So we know that this is someone who Paul regarded as a brother. Paul regarded as someone who was involved in the work of the ministry. In fact, as we read on in the next verse, it says that a church met regularly at his house. Right? So he lived in Colossae every week or almost every day. Believers would also gather at his place to learn and to grow. So this was not just a random guy. This was someone who Paul knew, whom the church knew, was a respected church leader. And what you're going to find out in, in, in this letter, so just to give a bit of backstory, there's Philemon had a slave, right? Onesimus, I'm like, wow, Christians had slaves. Yes, Christians had slaves in the Roman Empire. Um, I mean, slavery as we think of it now, it's not exactly the same way we thought of it then, even though there were similarities. But again, that's part of the things I'm going to emphasize as we go on. But yes, Philemon was a Christian. He still had his slaves. Onesimus was one of them. And maybe he stole, maybe there was a disagreement, maybe he ran away. There was a falling away and Onesimus ran away. But as providence would have it, Onesimus met Paul in Rome. Paul discipled him, Paul got him saved, and now he became one of Paul's trusted ministry assistants. But Paul could have said, okay, I know you now, I know Philemon, it's all good, just stay with me and continue helping. But Paul said, no, there is an, you need to go back to your master and reconcile this difference. And so he wrote this letter, gave it to Onesimus, and so you would see Onesimus, you can picture it, Onesimus is coming back maybe with Tychicus, right? Because Tychicus is the one bringing the letter to Colossae. And then he will go back to um, Ogafilo, and he say, ah, sir, I'm back, <laughs> but I'm not a Christian. I met Paul, he said I should give you this letter, I'm sorry. So you'd think of Philemon, he's reading this, and Onesimus is probably standing right there apologizing for what he did. Now you might say, ah, is it not just he ran away? Is it not just to take him back? In that time, for a slave to do that kind of thing, he could be tortured, he could be killed, right? In fact, anyone under in Rome that helped that slave during that period is liable to pay for damages. By damages, I mean all the financial benefit that that slave should have given you while he was with you. So because of the way the Roman system worked, this was integral to their culture. Because if all of a sudden slaves could start doing whatever they wanted to do, it's the same way we say today, the smallest societal unit is the family. If things start to break apart in the family, you would see it play out on a large scale. So also, the Romans did not permit rebellion on any level. Because if slaves can start rebelling to masters, all of a sudden, masters will start rebelling to their to the emperor, and who knows what will happen to the empire. So they were very harsh with things like this. So what Onesimus did, if Philemon should go ahead and just cast him small, that's the end. That's the end. And 
you start to see, first of all, if you've been remembering what we've read in Ephesians and um, Colossians, you'll see how Paul would say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Slaves, love your, or obey and respect your masters. But in turn, right, masters, treat your slaves fairly. These were things that at that time, were very foreign to, to Roman culture as a whole. You don't end, of course, there might have been people that may have been friends, but it's not a common, you don't see a master saying, oh, I respect my slave as a human. I treat him with Jesus because I have a master in heaven. Or you don't see Roman husbands who were the heads of their homes, seeing their wives as equals and seeing their wives as people that they should live for. Remember Paul told them that in Ephesians 5, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. So you won't see that kind. I mean, maybe there may have been a few exceptions, but as a Christian culture, this was a big shift to what Rome knew in that day. So you can picture, for instance, a Roman, let's say a Roman non-believer, he goes to the house of Philemon and like, ah, Philo, how are you doing now? And all of that. And then you see how he treats his wife. And you're like, ah, She's not just your wife. Why are you treating her so highly? Or you see how he treats his slaves. I'm like, ah, why is Philemon doing this? And the reason I'm starting with this is because think about it. Jesus came. Jesus died, right? And all of this Christianity is starting off the bat. And you don't see instructions like if you're a slave, <laughs> run, run away. If if um if you're a wife and your husband should all of that, that was not what they started to do. So within those same societal structures, what you see is Christ redefining it to reflect him. Remember, we talked about that in the Lordship of Christ in Colossae, how every single one of our relationships ultimately points to our understanding of Jesus as Lord. So if Jesus is truly the Lord of my life, it would show in my submission to my parents. It would show in the way I treat my, my employees or my employer. It's showing the way I treat my spouse or my kids. Every human relationship is an opportunity to reflect that indeed Jesus is now Lord over my life. So you don't see Jesus directly coming. I mean, even in, in his day, he didn't come to just directly say, slave, no slave. This, no, no. He redefined what the relationship meant that yes you might have been you may be master and slave in the eyes of Rome but in the eyes of God you are brothers and sisters and what then happened you see little by little a few years down the line the entire structure was changed because of the little um the little changes that had already started because people were indwelt by the spirit so again it goes back to what we talked about in Colossians right inside out that at the end of the day, what truly transforms, whether it's an individual or whether it's a community, is the genuine change that already starts from within by the Spirit. And then that change results in something that is now visible, something that it, it radically transforms a community. And that's why you start to look through history and you see that at the end of the day, Christianity is responsible for most of the social development we've seen in the past few centuries. So the reasons that people could be, men and women could be seen as equals or slavery and things, all these things, a lot of it were tied to Christian training or Christian upbringing. So eventually 
God's ideal. So for instance, you can think of like, for instance, divorce, right? With, with the Israelites. And when the Israelites met Jesus and they're like, oh, should we divorce? And God, Jesus said what? From the beginning, it was not so. But because your hearts were hard, that's why Moses had to even give you this rules to make it harder. It would be possible because you people are stubborn, but we would, we would make it as hard as it could get, right? So you don't see God just coming on the scene and say, henceforth, <laughs> no more this, no more that. Rome would have killed all Christians if they started that way. But you see, by little by little, those radical changes from within eventually changed the entire nation and the world as we know it today. Amen. So I just wanted to emphasize that because it will help to form a lot of the context as we read this book. So now you see Paul, he didn't say, Onesimus, you are a free man. In Christ, you are free. No chains. You don't have to go back. No. He said, go back to your master. Go back to your master. In fact, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, it's, were you a slave when Christ called you? Don't on your own just try to be free. Don't run away and say, oh, I'm free in Christ. Amen. I think that should be that, that's that's very different from what we hear many times today. You should ideally would have thought say, say, this is not my portion. I am more than this. I am a king in Christ. I bow to no man. <laughs> that is not what Paul said. Amen. He said, You are a slave, fine. But in that relationship, still honor the Lord as Lord. Say that I'm a queen in Hebrew. <laughs> Amen. All right. So what I want us to do as we go on through this chapter is you would see a lot of themes. So for instance, forgiveness. In Colossians, you see Paul saying, just as Christ forgave you, so also forgive others. Again, it's because of what you've known to be true in Christ that you can practically respond. The same way it says Christ has reconciled us. Henceforth, what? We are ministers of reconciliation. And whether that's in men to God, it also applies to men to men. And so you'll see Paul sometimes saying, you audience in teacher are fighting. Please help them reconcile. In the same way you see Onesimus and Philemon, they are, they are disagreements with one another. Paul stands in the middle, the same way Christ pulled us and God and says, oh yeah, you're back. That's the same thing Paul is doing right here. Again, he's responding to the fact that if Jesus has forgiven me, if Jesus has reconciled me, it should show in my human relationships. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, and what you start to see, this is Paul the apostle. This is Paul the emoji. Look at what he does in, in verse 1. He doesn't start by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ chosen by God. Remember, we've seen that in Galatians, Ephesians. He doesn't start with authority. He could have simply said, Onesimus, I am the, I, I begot all of you, right? I receive this guy. It's an instruction from your pastor or from a spiritual leader. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He used wisdom. He used grace because emotions may be, may be involved. Who knows? He was gentle. In fact, you're going to see how he was so diplomatic. It's amazing, it's amazing the things he did, right? So it's not an insensitive thing that, oh, you just say, ah, you are fighting, you're in Christ. Oh, yeah, I don't care what, no. There, there's room to, to, to talk about what happened. Oh, yeah, let's see how we can make things work out. Let's do this. Let's do that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. So let's start. All of this was backstory. Now we can get into the meat of the matter. Let's start. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner. I said he didn't start with apostle this time. He said, I'm a prisoner, right? I'm suffering for Christ. 
of Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and faithful fellow laborer, to the beloved Apia, some a lot of theologians say that's probably his wife, Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some say that that might be his son, but again, we're not sure. And to the church in your house, right? Grace to you and peace from God the Father, God our Father and the Lord Jesus. We've looked at that verse so many times. I don't think I need to explain what grace and peace means anymore. It says, I thank my God, making mention of you in my prayers. Again, you see that Ephesians 1, 15 to 16, right? The same thing. Ever since I heard of you, I don't cease to give thanks, making mention in my prayers. Colossians 1, 3 to 4, the exact same thing. We give thanks, praying always for you ever since we heard of your faith. Again, it was the same time frame. So there's, that's why you'd see a lot of similarities in the writing style. So Paul is here in Roman prisons. He's thanking God for Ephesus, thanking God for policy, thanking God for Philemon and so many other laborers that he has. He says, sharing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Another verse we've seen several times, right? Faith in the Lord Jesus corroborated by love for all the saints. Again, I said it, that this is another place where Paul reminds you, if truly you believe the gospel, if truly you have faith in Jesus, it would show in your love for one another. Amen. If you want to hear me talk more about this, go to when we looked at it in Colossians, right? We talked a bit about it. And it goes to verse 6, a very common verse, right? That the sharing of your faith, may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. This is a very big verse. <laughs> There's a lot of big words going on, and it's a very common verse. But let's let's look at it clearly. I'm sorry, slowly rather. It says, I thank God for you, making mention in your prayers. I've heard of your love. I've heard that you love the Lord. I've heard that you love the saints. Of course, a church met in his house. And remember in that day, when you read Acts, when you read 1 Corinthians 11, they didn't just come, pray, study, and then go. They would eat together as well. So this is someone who was clearly generous, who was clearly there for the church at Colossae, right? He's not just a random, in quotes, random believer. And what does he pray? He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Let's take three words there. The first one is the word sharing. That's the word koinonia in the Greek. Very common word. What does it mean? Some places you see it as um, communication. Some other places you see it as participation or partnership. The very idea is just something we have in common. So I told you when I was saying, when Paul would say the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and what? The koinonia of the spirits be with you all. Meaning there's something that you all have in common, that you all share. What is that? The Holy Spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit you've been baptized into one body. And so what we have in common is the spirit. That's why it says the fellowship of the spirits. So here he's praying again. I pray that the fellowship of your faith or the participation of your faith may become effective. What does that mean? Meaning that that thing you have in common with the believers around you, your faith, right? That, 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 that mutual giving and receiving, that mutual experience where I'm living my Christian life in a community. That is what he's referring to. 
That is what is shared. That is the that's the koinonia. He says, I pray that it may become effectual. That's the word energized in the Greek. It means active, operational, or effective, right? I pray that it will actually be, it will be there. I pray that it would even become one more because already there is some level of that. A church meeting in his house is a spiritual leader, right? But he's saying, I pray that it will grow more. How? By the acknowledging. Again, that's the word epignosis. By the acknowledging of every good thing. And I told you that that's the, the idea there is to be so fully acquainted with something. So when Jesus would pray that in John 17, 3, I pray that they may know you, the only God and your son, Jesus, whom he has sent. And I gave, and I, I talked about how epignosis, you can know something, but you may not know it. Remember, we talked about that in Colossians. You may know that you are dead to sin, but you may still be struggling with addictions. There's a disconnect there. But the more you start to acknowledge or epignosis, right, come to a full acknowledgement of who you are in Christ, we would see that indeed you don't, the implications would follow. So that's what acknowledgement means. Now, let's put it together. What is Paul really praying? And the reason he phrases it like this, he's still going to quote the same verse later down in this chapter. The reason he's saying this, what is he praying basically? That the more you start to realize and to fully grasp, to take into account who all you have received, the good things in Christ. Remember what those good things are. Forgiveness, right? In fact, for the purpose of this epistle, forgiveness is the main thing he has in mind. So you acknowledge forgiveness that you have in Christ. And as a result, you are able to forgive a brother. That is your communication in the faith. Does that make sense? So if two people are fighting and I say, if truly you acknowledge that you have been forgiven, remember Colossians, forgive one another just as Christ what pastors forgave you. So if truly you realize it, if you come to a point where you acknowledge that you have been forgiven, what would be the result? The communication of your faith will be more effective. We would see that you will be able to forgive a brother or a sister. Why? Because you realize that you have been forgiven. If truly um, you realize that God puts up with your faults, right? If you are, if that's something you acknowledge, that's a good thing in Christ. You've acknowledged that in Christ there is no condemnation. God sees me as He sees His Son, Jesus. And so, in the same way, I should be able to look at a brother. He says, "Love keeps no record of wrong," and I should be able to bear with him. If I truly acknowledge this, it would show in the communication of my faith. So what is Paul praying about in a nutshell? That the more you come to know what Jesus has done for you, we would see its resultant effect in your life and in the community to which you identify with. Does that make sense? I want to see thumbs up at this point. Does that make sense? Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Or should I go over it again? Because it's a very common verse that we oftentimes use. And I don't know if it's important we understand why Paul even said it in the first place. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So Paul is basically praying that Philemon, if you hear me alternate between Philemon and Philemon, don't blame me, blame my upbringing. <laughs> All my life growing up ahead was Philemon. And then I watched a couple of videos and everyone is saying Philemon. And now I have to force myself to say Philemon, but sometimes I still say Philemon, but no Allah. 
God knows who we're referring to. Amen. <laughs> so the point is that Philemon or Philemon, whatever the case is, Uncle Phil, that's what I'm going to call him for the purpose of today's teaching. All <laughs> right? Uncle Phil, the more you acknowledge all that God has done for you in Christ, what will be the result? Your communication or that faith that you have in common with your people will become more effective. You'll find out that you are able to be or to share or to contribute better to the Christian community you find yourself in. All that is tied to the acknowledging of the good things. So once again, he is showing that indeed, theological knowledge should have a direct response to your practical day-to-day experience. That's basically what he's saying. He's summarizing Ephesians chapter 4, 5, 6, Colossians 3, and 4. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> All right. So you can simply say if there's a lack somewhere, there is something you have not acknowledged. That's why, for instance, in the, in the Corinthian church, in, in verse 3, what will he say? Don't you know that you are the temple of the Lord? Again, he goes on to say, don't you know that your bodies are the temple? Because if you knew, if this was something you acknowledge, you won't be acting in this way. You won't be acting in this way. So at the end of the day, we can trace every behavioral deficit, right? Or every conduct problem to an acknowledgement problem. So it might be that, oh, you've not been praying as you ought. And so you are losing sight of that thing that you ought to have kept in your mind. You are not setting your sight on the things that you should. Colossians 3 verse 1, remember. So how do you build up that acknowledgement? In prayer, in the word. You meditate, you pray, and then you see it come to practical day-to-day implications in your life. All right, let's go on. Verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So it's the same thing, right? Generosity towards the saints, um, kindness, forgiveness. That is his communication of his faith. So this is someone who already has made progress in that regard. Paul is making this prayer because of the request he's about to make. So you can see, first of all, he first says, Paul the prisoner. He starts by saying, I'm praying for you, and this is one of my biggest prayers. And the reason is because of what I'm about to ask you moving forward. He could have literally said, Paul, an apostle, I charge you by God. Forgive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. Grace and peace. My name, Paul. And that would be the entire, would have finished this two minutes, um, 20 minutes ago. But he goes on to explain, he goes on to, to, to make a well-structured argument. Let's go on. It says, verse 8, Therefore, now we see, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, <laughs> I could have done it, right? And it is what you are meant to do. I don't even have to appeal to your emotions. I don't have to say anything. I could have told you because you are meant to do this in Christ. Like I could have done that. It says, yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. He now says, being such a one as Paul, the agent. I highlighted that in my Bible because I just found it so cool. It sounds like a Marvel character. Paul, the agent. He now says, I'm now also a prisoner of Christ. So he's saying, I'm an old man. <laughs> right? I'm an old man. I've tried. I'm currently, as I'm speaking to you, I'm in prison because of the gospel. So I'm making an appeal to you. You know those things where, let's say your mom or 
um, grandma will come and beg on your behalf. She's so not an old woman. So uh, just just listen to me. That's what Paul is doing here. He says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while I am in chains. And I told you that, so when Onesimus ran away, one way or the other, he found Paul and Paul converted him and Paul discipled him. And one thing that this verse highlights, if you're not careful about, is the providence of God. And I think one of the greatest delights, one of the things I, I don't know, it makes me very excited is to see how God can work in marvelous ways through circumstances that you can just say is coincidence. It's amazing. Because look at this. Onesimus did, of course, God is not the one that puts, God does, is not the initiator of evil. He didn't make Onesimus do whatever he did that made him run away. But you see how because of that action, God was able to use that to lead to Onesimus' salvation, eventually becoming a trusted ministry associate of Paul. And it's amazing. I mean, look at your life as well. You can probably see the same things, how there are things that God has just used to become part of his story in your life. Maybe it's even a relationship. By relationship, I mean friendship or maybe it's even romantic. Let me not let me not exclude those that, that have people among us. But it's amazing to see how the hidden details, when you look back and you see the hand of God. So you'd see, for instance, in Esther, look at what Mordecai said, maybe for such a time as this, you were in the palace. So all the while, while Esther was being carried away because she was beautiful, you might have not, if you are not discerning, you might not know. All the while, while Esther was being tested in the king's harem, in case you don't know what that is, that is a group of, <laughs> a place where a group of women live. The king would sleep with each one of them or they would minister to him, amen, night after night. And then he would choose one to be the next queen. He'd be like, uh-uh, Esther, a Jew in a harem? Ha, she has fallen, right? But then it gets to the point where all the Jews are about to be killed. Of course, that is going to be a big problem to God's covenant, to Abraham and to Christ, your salvation and my salvation. What is God going to do about it? Hmm. Esther is in the palace. And so it's at that point, you will now say, oh, oh. So yes, God was able to use this to lead to the deliverance of the people of Israel. Interesting. Interesting. And this is something that happens so, it's amazing how in the little details, you see God working. <laughs> you see God working. You see God working. Usually it's when you look back, you're like, oh, so that is why I had to, that's, that, this is how God used the school I went to to further his purpose. Or, oh, this is how God used this event to further, I mean, look at the very author of this letter. He's currently in house, he's in prison. And it's because he was in house arrest that he was able to write many of the letters. In fact, pretty much all the letters we've discussed till now is because he was in prison. If he wasn't there, he won't have read. He most likely may not have read. He might have visited them physically. And then what will we be studying today? <laughs> Praising the Lord always. That's what we'll be doing. But God was able to use a terrible situation in quotes, his Roman imprisonment, to produce many of the beautiful gifts we have today as epistles. What is the point in all this? Be discerning. 
be discerning. God is not the author of evil. God is not the author of, of bad stuff, right? But God does and oftentimes uses evil to advance his sovereign plan in Christ. Amen. Look at Jesus, for instance. God was not the one that put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. God was not the one that put it in the heart of the Jewish people to kill him. But it was necessary that Jesus die for our salvation. And so out of the greatest darkness in the heart of man, God was able to bring about his salvation plan. How much more are day-to-day experiences? Amen. Amen. It's just something that a lot of us don't take note of many times. And I think this verse really highlights it. So we see Onesimus running away. God using that. You might say, oh, it's chance. It's coincidence. But at the end of the day, a discerning man would say, hmm, wow. So because of this, he was able to reach out to Paul. He was able to get saved. Amen. Let's go on. Verse 11, he says, he was once unprofitable for you. And I think this is cool because if you if you read a lot of commentaries, what they'll say is that the word Onesimus actually means profitable, right? In it's a, it's a certain inflection of the word profitable. I'm like, oh, wow, interesting. So that's why it says he was once what? Unprofitable. That means he didn't, he didn't act like his name at all, <laughs> right? And it says, now he's profitable for both you and me. Is profitable for both you and me. He says, I am what? Sending him back. I am sending him back. And one of the first things this shows is that reconciliation is important. So far, see the approach. Instead, for love's sake, he says, I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm in prison. Now he is my son. <laughs> He's my son. He says, I'm sending him back to you. I mean, think about it. Paul could have easily written a letter that, ah, Philemon, when his most is saved, please, can he stay with me and continue serving? But he said, no, it's important that these people go back and reconcile their differences. And that, that, that paints a Christian message that many people overlook today. Even in your relationships, reconciliation is important. You, you shouldn't be comfortable saying, we fought and that's how we ended. We don't talk anymore. Uh-uh. Is that what Jesus did to you and God? You guys fought and said, we don't, that's it, go your own separate ways. No, no. The believer is someone who, who actively pursues reconciliation. That minister of reconciliation, yes, thank God, it's for preaching the gospel. But there's also a sense in which you've been called to reconcile. If Jesus has reconciled you to God, it should also see in your human experiences, both in your own personal and in people around you. So you know two people are fighting and all of a sudden they don't like each other anymore. You should actively, that means that mental thing that we all carry on our head. Let it show in just that small fight that these two people are having. You should be able to say, ah, why are you fighting this guy? And why are you fighting? Okay, let's talk about it. Where's the misunderstanding? Oh, how can we resolve the matter? If it's your own life personally, you should be able to say, ah, I don't like how we got off. Let's say we're good friends and something happened and then everything just died. You should be able to one day swallow your pride and say, oh, we had a fight. I just wanted to let you know that it's 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 all good. I, I don't hold anything against you. Of course, sometimes the relationship in itself, the friendship might not be um, might not be day-to-day as it once was, especially if the person hasn't changed. So for instance, um, if someone was sexually abused, right 
the Bible or what we've learned in Christ calls us to forgive that person. Now, I might say this in a few sentences, but it's a lot harder than it seems. I know that, right? And it may not be the easiest, but I could be like Philemon 1 verse 8 and say, I make it bold to command you in Christ what is fitting. Forgive. I could do that. Or I could take the other approach and for love's sake, I could appeal to you as a believer. Forgive this guy or forgive this girl. God forgive you of even worse. Yes, this may be painful, but you have the ability. Don't forget everything we've talked about till this point is that when Paul makes charges like this, it's because we have the spirit. We have the ability to forgive. Where a natural man may have struggled with reconciliation and forgiveness, we are born of God. And I'm going to talk about that much more in the end of this, of this book, is that as believers, don't let us get to a point where we're so conditioned by the world that things that the world scorns on you, you, you are now joining the world to say uh-uh. <laughs> or something like that no you are a believer you are in christ you are you are very different in case you don't know if you remember look at the descriptions paul uses for people that aren't saved it says they were once darkness in in their face says they were in darkness because i says they were darkness <laughs> they were darknesses were dead separated from God, strangers. So you shouldn't be comparing your ability to please God with that of a stranger. That's like me saying, oh, if they say, ah, Daniel, when last did you call your dad? I say, ah, two years ago. I'm like, ah, why did you call? I say, ah, but brother, so-and-so hasn't called my dad. In it. Is, he my, is, he my, is he my dad's son? <laughs> Do we have the same father? Why would I use his standards with his relationship with my dad for my own standard with my relationship with my dad. That's the same thing we do when we try to act like the world. We are different. We are different. They aren't family members yet. We, God is our father. We can't be using the same standards of relationships. It's not possible. We even have the Holy Ghost to equip us to live like God. So don't be that Christian. And this is where a lot of information can can cloud especially if you're not prayerful if you're not if you're not discerning you start to think like the world that's why paul said don't be what conformed i explained last week how what the world does or maybe two weeks ago is conformation it forces you to to behave in a certain way it forces you to 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 act in a certain manner in a certain pattern but what does jesus do he says but be transformed that talks about a change from within. So don't 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 spend countless hours scrolling through Instagram and all of a sudden you can't have a healthy relationship anymore because people have said if it was me I would have done this and now you forget that you are in Christ. All of a sudden you are a member of Instagram family, no more the family of God and then you cannot do what the Bible instructs you to do anymore. Or Twitter, I think Twitter is even a better <laughs> Twitter is the bigger, bigger corporate in this discussion, right? It's so important. It's so important. So things like reconciliation, where Twitter may say, ah, walk away. He's lucky you didn't even take him to jail self. No. Jesus says what? Reconcile. Reconcile. And again, these things may be hard in the flesh. But why? that's why Paul prayed Philemon 1.6 that your communication would become effective as you acknowledge. 
as you spend time praying, as you spend time meditating, as you are able to take on a fuller grasp of the forgiveness you receive, of the love that you didn't deserve, you will be able to share and to reciprocate it in the lives around you. Amen. I love that. I love what you just said. Do you know who I am? Yes, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And so things like reconciliation, don't let it be something that's by the way. Actively pursue to mend broken relationships. Whether it's in your life or in the lives of people you know around you. Actively pursue to mend broken relationships. Amen. Again, like I've said in a context, so for instance, someone it doesn't mean, oh, you now say, oh, I have to start calling you every day because we're now G's. That's not necessarily what it means. But make sure that you're at a point where you hold nothing against the person and the person knows for the most part. Like if it's a friend and you guys fought, you should be able to apologize. All right? Of course, I don't mean like if someone was abused, you start looking for the person that abused you so that you can say, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, please. But I'm saying in relationships that were broken, you should be able, at least one of you, especially both of you are believers, hopefully one of you has been praying. Hopefully one of you has read Philemon, right? And should know that there is something I should do to fix this. There is something I should do to fix this. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. It says, I'm sending him back. It says, receive him. That is my own heart. My own heart. So Paul is even saying now that, Onesimus is my heart. This is how much I value him. So again, look at what he's doing diplomatically. He's First of all, he appeals as an old man who is suffering for the Lord. Second, he lets, and all of this is not deceit. This is true. He's letting Philemon know that Onesimus is very dear to me now. First of all, he's saved. Second of all, he's my son. I discipled him. Third, he is now, he has taken up my entire, he's my, he's my heart. He's someone I love and I value very much. He says, I wish to, whom I wish to keep with me. Do you see that? That on your behalf, he might, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Paul is being, I love when he says that. I actually wanted to keep him so that he would help me with the work I'm doing. He says, boy, in 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. So that your good deed might be by compulsion. Sorry, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. So again, Paul could have kept Onesimus and write a letter. I, Paul, charge you. Onesimus is now saved. Deal with it. <laughs> and send it to him and keep Onesimus. But Onesimus is still Philemon's slave. So he can't... So Paul did not want a case where he would force Onesimus, um, Philemon to act in a certain way because uh, after all, now pastors say we should do him. Right? No. He said, I'm sending him back to you so that you would receive him and then maybe you will now send him back to me again. But this time, it will be of your own free will. It will be of your own free will. Right? Because don't forget, Onismos is losing value when, when, um, when um, Philemon is here. Sorry. Philemon is losing value because Onismos ran away, right? Onismos was doing something in the house before Philemon left. Now, Philemon has to go and find a new slave to do that. So it's, he, he, it's probably costing money and stuff like that. So he's saying, I want to send him back so that you will forgive him. You would receive him. And then if you want him to come and join me again in ministry, let it be that it's something you wanted. I don't want anything forced. I want reconciliation to be true and organic. It says, verse 15, now see, it says, for perhaps he departed for a while 
for this purpose. The same thing Mordecai told Esther. Maybe for such a time as this, you were put in the palace. She said, maybe for this reason he departed so that you might what? Receive him forever. I love this. So maybe he left you in the flesh so that you can receive him no more as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Oh, wow. I just read the next verse. Sorry. It says, no longer as a slave, but as a brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So this is amazing because the moment, what Paul is saying is that the moment a person becomes saved, your relationship with him becomes, he is now your brother. He's now, she is now your sister. So yes, they may work for you, but they are believers before God level playing ground. breakfast, <laughs> whatever. It says, he is now your brother. He is now your brother. And like I said, think of the social implications. A slave on the same level with his master. If emperor should catch you, you're in trouble, Lou. You're in trouble. So even also to Onismos, he didn't tell Onismos, you are now a free man. You are more than this. God saved you for more than you are. You can be better and start praying. Lord, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. <laughs> no, he said, oh God, go back to your master. If both of you are believers, it makes it easier. Go back to your, he's still your master. Go and apologize. Go and apologize, right? So be very careful about poverty mentality and all these prosperity gospel stunts, right? At no point did they, you don't even see people that were poor in the church. You didn't tell Paul to say, pray. And no, he said, take care of the poor among you. Oton, if you are rich, be generous, <laughs> right? <laughs> be generous. The church in Jerusalem had famine. How did they survive? It was generosity. It was generosity. The churches in the Gentile regions gathered money, gathered food, and sent it to them. Simple. Right? Am I saying that you shouldn't ask God for material blessings? Of course, you can and you should. He does provide. What I am saying is that nowhere in the Bible do you find any license for greed or covetousness. You cannot spiritualize it. You are just greed. <laughs> right? Amen. All right. So it says, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Now, Paul is leveraging on his own relationship with Onesimus. And sometimes we should be willing to do that. You should be saying, ah, brother, for me, I'm telling you that this guy has changed. I'm telling you that this guy has changed. At least because you trust me, forgive this guy. In all of this, we could have said, ah, you are in Christ. <laughs> but Paul is appealing. He appeals to love. He appeals to, to Onesimus as a son. Now he's appealing to Paul's, his relationship with Philemon. I told you that one of the things you see here is, a, you can think of it as a practical example on living the life of Christ. He says, if you count me as a partner, receive him. He says, if he has wronged you or he owes you anything, what does he say? Put it on my account. That's a dangerous statement to make today. That's like saying, if, if um, let's say, Boye stole from Wemi, and Boye has changed. I'm like, ah, Bimi, Boye has changed. Boye has changed. If, if last, last, you shall want that money to be paid back, I will pay it. Just make up. That's what, that's literally put, that's to show you how willing Paul was to put himself in the middle to see these two people reconciled. Again, that should sound familiar. 
<laughs> because that is exactly what that's how far Jesus went to see you and God reconcile. Said if there's anything these human beings owe, I will pay it, which was what death. And so that's why, as a believer, it should not be strange for you to say if there's anything they owe in my ability, at least I would just just be reconciled, just be reconciled. So what you see here is that all that Paul has seen in Christ, it's coming to play. It's coming to play. If he forgave us. Philemon, you should forgive Onesimus. If you reconcile the both of us, sorry, if you reconciled me to God, I should reconcile Philemon and Onesimus. If he was willing to put himself out there to to suffer ridicule, to suffer shame, just so that God and I can have a relationship, I should be willing to put myself out there. Whether if they like, if, if even though because see guys, I know this really like sometimes you might feel awkward when you are trying. To, ah, I feel like a fool doing this carry that full on Jesus felt like a fool going to the cross he was spat on he was mocked on he was mocked at rather and that's the message that if you've seen it in Christ and you've acknowledged it you should be willing to put yourself out there to mend broken relationships you should be willing to put yourself out there to respond to what you have seen to be true in Christ so it might not even it might not even be for some of you it might not even be relationships it might be just in your office you are being laughed at because you choose to do certain things or it might be that oh um um you are being excluded from social groups because everyone is going to the bar on friday and you're like ah me I have vigilo <laughs> I have map meeting <laughs> and you're like ah, how far now it's part of it if jesus was willing to put i love how hebrews put this he said if jesus it, let me not anytime i talk about hebrews i start to get very excited <laughs> it says so for instance in the old testament when sins were meant to be forgiven there will be two goats right on one goat you place your the elders of the village who, or of the of israel will place their hands on the goats symbolizing that their sins are now being imputed to that goat that goat will be killed the blood will be sprayed on the people sprayed on the altar for forgiveness but then there would also be another goat that they would send into the wilderness literally scapegoats they send him into the wilderness to carry their sins as far away as possible from them and the goats will go to the wilderness to die hebrew said that that's for, that's a picture of how jesus was led outside the jerusalem gates to golgotha to die so in a sense he fulfilled both boats them sorry both goats right he was the goat that was killed for the sins but it was also the goat that was sent away symbolizing the sending away of sins that's not even my emphasis hebrews now says if jesus was led out it says let us go and join him <laughs> talking about how we should be willing to suffer we should be willing for the identification of jesus says, oh, are you to drag you you are now a goat follow jesus out of the city gate city gates follow Jesus out of the city gate and it's the same thing in our relationships you should be willing to take on insult you should be willing to take on ridicule sometimes it may even be financial if it's going to 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 if it's all going to glorify all that God has done for you in Christ whether it's in you and someone or whether it's in two people you know you should be willing to put yourself out there what is going on how can we make this work amen amen Let's go on in verse 19. We're starting to round up now. It says, "I Paul, I'm writing with my own hand. I would repay." I love this part. It says, "Not to mention that you yourself 
you owe me your you owe me your life. It says not to mention that you owe me even yourself besides. And <laughs> this part, you just the leveraging is amazing. I love it. I love it. So first of all, we see the importance of the gospel. How it's literally the saving of a life, the saving of a life, and this what this should point to is honor. Right, people that saved you, or rather, the person that disciples you, the person that pastors you, these are people to which you should honor because what they are handling is the souls of men. If truly you believe, once again, if truly you acknowledge, remember, all of this has to do with acknowledging things that are true already on a spiritual level, and because of that, you can respond in a practical manner. So if truly you believe Jesus' words, that what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, meaning you acknowledge that the worth of his soul is worth more than money can buy, then it would show in the honor you accrue to people that handle the souls of men. Does that make sense? It would show. And so honoring spiritual leaders it is part of one of the things that your communication of the faith has to become effective in. Because if truly you believe that they stand in the capacity of Christ over your life, if truly you believe that your soul is more important than your career, more important than anything, it would show in the honor you have for these people. How can your pastor be calling you and then you just ignore his call? You don't even send texts. You say, ah, this man is disturbing me. In fact, you call him this man. <laughs> the person that God has placed in my life is now this man. <laughs> That's a problem. It's a big problem. So when Paul, for instance, says that those that labor among you, count them worthy of double honor, it's because he's expecting the audience to value what they do. To value what they do. When he says, hold people like um, Epaphroditus in high esteem, people that have risked their life for the gospel, is because he's expecting you to, to, to see the importance of someone risking his life to preach the gospel or to, to, to help a church. If truly you recognize it, it would show in the way you treat these people. And so that's why Paul is saying, don't forget, you actually owe me your life. <laughs> you owe me your life. You owe me your life. So if you truly value the salvation you receive, if you, I am grateful for your body, grateful for, if you truly, oh, the overwhelming, if you love, that, that love, if, it's, if you truly acknowledge it, you would acknowledge the means or the people through which God provided it to you by. It would show. And that's why Paul is appealing now on himself that, ah, last, last, if not for the sake of love, if not for the sake that Onismos has changed, at least because I am I, because I am responsible for you, do it for my do it for me. Do it for me. Do it for me. Amen. It says, Yes, brother, <clears throat> let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. So now look at it. Look at verse 20 and verse 7. He says, You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So first of all, he tells him, you've done all these things. <laughs> it's who you are. <laughs> right? So do it for me. Refresh my own heart as well. Refresh my heart as well. In verse 21, it says, I have confidence in your obedience. I knew you would do this. Right? So he ends, even after all of this, he now appeals to who he is in Christ. So don't be that person where I say, hey, 
and I know that brother, he won't forgive. <laughs> Don't be like that. He won't forgive. I tr- I trust. He won't forgive. No, 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 no. Of course, who born Philo? If Philo should ask for money, he should be flogged. Which which mouth will he use to ask for? After everything Paul has said, <laughs> how will he ask for money? He says, I have confidence in your obedience. He says, I write to you knowing that you will do you will do more than I say. He says, but meanwhile, <laughs> I love this part. He just changed topic. Prepare a guest room for me. <laughs> for I trust that through your prayers, I shall. So I'm, he said, I'm coming. So prepare a room in your place. So imagine, if, imagine if you does not obey this. <laughs> how awkward it will be when he finally comes here. How about that guest room now? Have you forgiven Onesimus yet? He says, prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. And he was, because he actually did leave um, that that particular he was later imprisoned a second time and that's when he was beheaded but for this one he actually was freed and he was able to visit many of the churches before emperor nero came into power blamed christians for the fire and started to actively persecute that's when he killed nero killed peter nero killed paul massacred many believers so paul was so we we believe that Paul did sleep in Philemon's guest room at least one more time. <laughs> Amen. But look at this. Look at verse. As in, see, see the see the flow, see the flow of of just one simple apology letter. See the see the intention behind it, and that's why one, that's one of the reasons I love the book. I remember the first day I studied this book. I'm like, wow, this this gems all over. I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. From from um putting yourself out there to maybe even just appealing to love or appealing to the relationship, appealing to your own self, finally having confidence in who people are as believers. Just like Paul, we should be able to believe the best of people. It's so important. It, it said it in 1 Corinthians that the love believes the best, right? You should be able to say, ah, but Bemi is a believer, but Buki is a believer. She will, she will do the right thing. I, I trust the spirit of God in her. She will do the right thing. <laughs> she will do the right thing. Be able to believe, the especially when you are responsible for the lives of people. It's so important that you believe the best of the people you are responsible for. Believe that ah, these people are believers. They will do the right thing. That's why Paul would say, I'm confident. I'm confident. Said I will. <laughs> In Philippians, I'm confident that he will start it. He will perfect it. I'm confident that you guys will stand strong. I'm confident that you guys will not fall. You look at the book of Hebrews. Every warning, he goes on to say, I'm confident that you would stand. I'm confident. Why? You have the spirit of God. Look at First John. Um, there may be antichrists around. There may be false gospels. But I'm confident. You have, it. You have an anointing from the Holy One. He teaches you all things. I'm confident you will be led astray. See the see the see the confidence level that these people or these apostles had over the churches. How much more we to our friends? They've already ended your trust to a certain level. Just believe the best of them. Believe the best of them. Amen. Right? It says Epaphras again. So remember our brother, brother Epaphras from Colossae, praying champion. He says, He greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, we looked at all these people in Colossians. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, they all greet you. The grace of the Lord be with you. Amen. So, again, of course, like I said, this is a guide. I want you to take out time 
in your own Bible study time to once again read through. One of the first things Philemon teaches us, the, the letter to Philemon, no, Philemon, I really don't care anymore, <laughs> Uncle Phil, teaches us is that, is verse 6, the more or if truly you claim to be a believer, there's a certain response expected of you that people can demand, <laughs> right? So I should be able to say, ah, but goodness, you are a believer now, how far? <laughs> Or say, ah, but I thought, is it not the same Holy Spirit that we all fellowship in? You should be able to do this. I don't, I don't expect you to do this, right? That's one of the first things, that the communication or the sharing or the participation of your faith becomes effective. The more and more you acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. So if Jesus has forgiven me, I forgive others. If God loves me unconditionally, I love others unconditionally. Right? If God was willing to suffer, if God was willing to be seen as a servant, if God was willing to put away his privileges for my reconciliation, I should be willing to go the extra mile to respond. Whether it would require suffering, humiliation, or some form of ridicule, it's fine. Because I have seen it in Christ, so I can do likewise. So it's not just God telling me to do things. Like, for instance, verse 8. It's not just, God is not an insensitive person that will say, I charge you. <laughs> do the, No, he's also appealing to you. He's appealing to love. God is not insensitive. He's appealing to love. I did this for you. Do the same for others. I did this for you. Do the same for others. Look at look at um, John when Jesus restored um, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, the same amount of times that Peter denied him, right? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what did he say? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Look at what he told him. I have prayed for you. He said, the devil desired to seek you as well. I've prayed for you. He says, when you are strengthened, or when you are converted, rather, strengthen your brethren. So the same thing I've done for you, do for others. Look at Paul in, I think, 1 Corinthians, I believe, says, the God of all comforts, he comforts us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort we have received. Everything God does, he does as an example. He does as an example. That's why Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 5 will say, be imitators of God as children who are loved. So walk in love. So your daddy loves you. So you should love other people. Your daddy loves you. You should be able to love. You should be able to imitate. And it's, it doesn't just, God doesn't just save you and say, oh yeah, okay. He gives you his spirit to make it possible. And so that is the emphasis. There is an influence of the human soul that God has given. What is that? The spirit of God. And as a result, we can do these things. Don't, don't be comfortable saying, after all, I am only human. No, 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 no. You are a human born of God. You've been recreated in the image of God. And it's very easy to read all these theological parts. Glory, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. If you truly are, you are also a forgiver. You are also someone who reconciles. You are someone who reconciles. So guys, let's learn to practically walk in love. Put away pride. It doesn't help anyone. Imagine if God was forming ah, these people. 
I wait until they are sorry for what they have done. I don't care. Omo, we are dead. <laughs> we are gone. But God was proactive. You to be proactive. Don't say, I will wait until he feels sorry for what? No. That's not what God did. Where did you learn that? I love how Paul say, we have not so learned Christ. It's one of my favorite phrases. Where did you learn it from? That's not what Jesus taught you. That's not what you see in the life Jesus lived. So you shouldn't do the same thing. So again, the more you grow to know what Jesus has done, don't let it stop there. Remember that acknowledgement must always lead to a more effective communication. If there's anything that I can summarize for Elimon as, acknowledgement leads to effective communication or effective koinonia. Amen. 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 So if you truly believe the word of God, you will be able to act like the word of God tells you to. Some things I hear, it scares me to my bones. If a a believer says, put the Bible aside or forget Bible, this one a real talk. Ah, how far have you fallen? Hey God, oh Lucifer, son of the morning. (laughs) Put Bible aside. Christian, ah, that's a big problem. Or, um, nah. If, if, do you really believe the word of God? Do you really believe that the spirit of God equips you to love just like he does? Do you really believe that your life can be lived full of joy, free from worry, full of gratitude, like it says, giving thanks always? Do you believe it's possible? It is. It is. And that's why we pray. That's why we meditate. That's why consistency in devotion is such a big deal. Because these are things that need to be built up, built up rather. We have a flesh. That's why Paul would say, put off, put off, put off. You are dead, but put off. The more we pray, the more we meditate on the word of God, the more we spend time in gatherings like this or in communities, we're able to, over time, we start to see that our faith, the communication of our faith is becoming more effective. Through growth, through accountability, we can see that, oh, we are able to fully participate in all God has called us to be. So take it seriously. Don't, don't, don't let your excuse be, I'm still growing. We all are still growing. But at times you fall short. Hold yourself accountable that this is not who I am. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. It's possible, guys. Amen. With that, grace and peace be with you all. <laughs> Amen. All right. So, any questions? Any questions? <clears throat> Any questions? Before we... So you might have read Philemon. <laughs> I'm like, ah, just one chapter. <laughs> Any questions? It's a lot. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> um, all right. So in the absence of any questions... Let's pray. But like I said, it doesn't stop here. Don't just say I've attended Bible study. If not, you'll be that person that theology, you grew, but nothing. So think about it. Where can I practically see this in my life? All right, let's pray, guys. Um, Dear Father, thank you for letters like this. Thank you for its preservation. Thank you that we can be here thousands of years later to reflect on truths that never age. And I pray for everyone here, everyone who would listen to this teaching, 
that we are able, that just like Paul, our prayer is that the communication of our faith will become effective as we acknowledge every good thing we've received in you. Lord, I pray that we were able to, through prayer, through your word, through the community of believers around us, to better respond to who we are in you, to better acknowledge all that we've received. Our lives would be marked by love, marked by grace, the same grace we've received, not of works less than imaginable. So the same way, we don't, we don't expect people to earn our grace, to earn our love. We love unconditionally. We forgive without any holds barred. I pray that we're able to be more and more like you on a day-to-day basis. In Jesus' name, amen.